0: Hey guys, Brian Davis here from Spark Rental. Super glad to be with you. And I am so excited for our conversation today with Julie Holly. Julie started her career as a teacher before becoming a real estate investor and eventually a real estate syndicator who specializes in multifamily and assisted living offerings available not just to wealthy investors, but also to non-accredited investors. She's the founder of Three Keys Investments and the host of the Conscious Investor Podcast, which is an awesome podcast, by the way. Julie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have recently hosted you on the Conscious Investor Podcast. It was a fun, phenomenal episode.
0: Oh, it was such a fun conversation we had, and I'm really excited that we get to uh, you know, do the reverse here, do, You know, return the favor. So on that note, let's Let's rewind the clock to the beginning. Uh, you know, tell us about your early days as a real estate investor. You know, while you were still a teacher.
1: Yeah. Can we also rewind some of the wrinkles and everything? Does that work
0: also? <laughs> well, if you figure out how to do that, let me know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, non-invasive. You can no downtime. Non-invasive. Rewind the clock. Okay. No, there you go. Um, You know when we go back into the the part where i was a teacher i I graduated college and had a license at the tender age of 22 which is a really early early age to be really like launching your career these days um of course that was some decades ago but (laughs) in that process i also you know purchased my first home it was amazing my dad and grandpa were in real estate so i'm third generation and my dad kept telling me he's like got to ride that equity elevator on up you got to get in you got to get your first house and the market was hot but i was able to get in and unfortunately i ended up finding myself making a mortgage payment on my own um i had a situation with a relationship and next thing you know i'm like oh well i guess i'm making a mortgage payment on a little teacher salary on my own and that was not very comfortable so i decided what any smart, logical person who would like an extra $5 to go out with would do. Hey, I've got an extra room. Let me rent it out. Now we call that house hacking, right? Like we, there are lots of different iterations on how house hacking works, but I'm like, wow, cool. We have a name for it. Um, And so I started into, you know, the whole investing in that capacity. And then we realized I ended up marrying my amazing husband and we just had this heart together where we thought, Let's just live off of one modest income and let's buy a home. Let's fix it up. We'll rent it out to people who don't look good on paper, but we believe in and are trying to reestablish it, the, their lives and such. And so uh, we started to go down that path and even managed uh, rentals from across from California to Colorado. And it was fine. But then we had our second child. And I always say that I'm like, and then there's child number two. And you start to still feel a little more more vulnerable. We had gone through the crash and uh, my husband was in full-time real estate sales at the time and still is, has a brokerage of his own and such. But all that to say, it just felt really vulnerable. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have got like, yes, we've never had anything go wrong. We didn't have any horror stories at all as landlords. Everybody wow. had paid the rent on time. I had uh, great relationships with our residents. I always called and was proactive and like, hey, you know, every six months, hey, does anything need attention? Are there any drips, any of this? So, I mean, we were on top of it, we had reserves. And yet I had that full awareness of, if one thing goes wrong, it can completely annihilate all of our income for the entire year. I mean, if you're making three to $6,000 in income a year, and you have an incident with the HVAC or a fence goes down or fill in the blank with a lot of things that can just totally um, destroy that income. And so I thought, Oh,
0: I've had, had it happen.
1: Okay. Right. You got the stories. It's <laughs> like, I just don't know that I feel comfortable with this. And we've got these two little people, I, all that to say, we ended up selling and we thought we were timing the market, right? That's a whole nother conversation. Cause now I
0: don't
1: <laughs> even <time> any market. <laughs> and so we are like, okay, great, cool. We're selling at the top of the market and we put that money aside and I had gone back into education once again. And I am just like, oh my gosh, this money is sitting in the bank and it's not doing anything. We need to invest. And that's when I found and discovered syndication. My husband said, Hey, why don't you just research things? Why don't you, you know, kind of figure out what you think the next best investment would be for us. And in that process, I was ingesting copious amounts of bigger pockets. And I have a faith testimony and I have a real estate testimony. And there was driving to the gym at ODARC 30 on my real estate quest, listening to bigger pockets. And the first woman I ever hear, Monique Calm, comes on and she talks about house hacking and she talks about apartment syndication and everything came together. You know, my love of people, my heart to educate, my love of real estate. And since that moment, everything has just been fused together. My love of real estate and education and people is just all one. And now I'm just completely sold out full time, um, you know, commercial real estate investor.
0: Well, there is so much in that story that resonates with me. I mean, first of all, the love of real estate investing, the love of education, love of people—that is exactly what brought my partner Denny and me to this space. I mean, this is this is what we do, <laughs> you know, all day, every day, week in, week out. You know, education, real estate investing, building passive income, working towards financial independence. Love it. Uh, and you know, so much of your story, I feel like could have just been ripped right out of my own story. You know, I brought it, I had a housemate. I've really had a since forever. <laughs> uh, you know, eventually leading to my wife being my, my last, hopefully my last ever housemate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my wife and I aim to live on one income as well and, and save and invest the rest. Uh, I don't know if you're still doing that, <laughs> but, uh, it's a great goal for people who can do it. And, um, and you brought up timing the market. I think on your podcast, I think I went on a whole rant about why not to time the market. Uh, oh,
1: I think we did. And I set you up for that one also. I'm like, oh, Brian, what do you think about You know, like it was fun.
0: Totally teed me up for it. Uh, so, did I hear you correctly that you took some time off of your career uh, when you first had children?
1: I did. Yeah. So we were in, um, I, you know, was in education. I actually dipped out of education and went into real estate sales myself, totally crushed it and realized it wasn't really the best fit for me. I, loved the checks that I was getting I'm like I've never seen like these I have never seen a comma like that like I've never seen this many digits on a check with my name on it I mean I was an educator I'm like we're used to getting paid pennies I'm like wow like that's a huge that's you know like almost half of what I'd make as a teacher in a year you know it's like <laughs> Crazy experience. But you know, but this is before the crash and there was a lot of unethical things. And I was starting to turn into somebody I not I wasn't turning unethical. I just was turning into a cranky person. There are some other words that people use for women who are kind of cranky that I won't use
0: (laughs) here. But I just felt
1: like I was starting to go that direction. And I was like, that's not who I want to be. And I was really young and I didn't have the infrastructure around me. We didn't have access to YouTube and podcasts the way we do now or mastermind groups. And so I just, I made that choice to go back into education. And honestly, it was a great choice because I chose me. And I love that I was willing to go down the path and choose myself in choosing to go into real estate sales. And I, again, chose like what's best, like for who I want to be as a human okay, I can make less money, money. And I, that's where I realized like money's great, but it's just a resource. And it's really about who, who are we, who are created to be? What's our contribution in the world versus how much money can I accumulate and acquire and how much fun can I have? (laughs)
0: Well, so my wife is an educator as well. So I'm familiar with the, the small paychecks yeah. <laughs> that educators earn. Uh, that being said, my wife, as an international educator, does get some amazing benefits on top of the the smaller salary. So, you know, can't complain too much. But uh, no, I, I love that you, first of all, that you knew yourself well enough to, to make that shift because a lot of people... They get the golden handcuff, right? You know, they they say, "Well, you know, I don't love you know this work that I'm doing, but the money is so good that maybe I'll just I'll make it work." Um, but you were able to to tie your love of education back to your passion for real estate as well. Uh, so I love that you you found that third way, right? Uh, you know, that yes. it wasn't either or. Uh, there's always, or maybe not always, but there's almost always a third, a third way, right?
1: Oh, no, I think there always is. There, there are always multiple options. They might not be our favorite options, but there are usually other ways that we can, you know, MacGyver life, if you will.
0: I totally agree. And, you know, that's, that's a theme that I try to bring up again and again is intentional living, you know, lifestyle design, you know, whatever you want to call it, but just bringing that intentionality to, Everything in your life from your work to your family life, your social life, your extracurricular activities, you know, down to where you live, you know, city level, country level. I mean, that's that's why I'm here in Peru. Right. Um, Yeah. I'm just all about that intentional living and lifestyle design. And it seems like you have really uh, prioritized that and mastered that in, in your career
1: we have definitely chosen a lot of intentional living yes and you mentioned i did stay home with our kids when they were young i even homeschooled our kids with our, when they were young and so we've we've really given ourselves a lot of permission to just ebb and flow with life and to say what works best and what's what's for us right now at this moment versus like just set it and forget it and a lot of people live life on autopilot and they're disengaged from is this still serving me? Well, this was really good then, but is this the best now? Well, actually it was best for my kids to go back. And it was scary for me. Like, Oh, they're going back to public education. I don't know that I like, you know, some of the things taking place, but, you know, but trusting the process and and watching my kids flourish and thrive and bloom, you know, sometimes, life will take turns. And when we're willing to receive them, they serve us powerfully. But when we sit, we can get in the same status quo. We can get so crusty. And it's true in our personal lives. It's true in our professional lives. And it's certainly true in our investing. Sometimes people get crusty in their investing and they just say, stay in one asset class. And they're like, no, this is only." It's like, actually, have you looked at the stats on that asset class recently or on that market or on like yeah, that was good then. And what you're invested in there is still going to do perform well, but we need to be thinking outside the box.
0: Yeah. Well, the only constant in life is change, right? And, uh, you know, when, like you said, when people get crusty in, in their careers and their personal lives and their investments, that's when things tend to go sideways for them, right? You know, they, they, yeah, I mean, you know, they get stale in their careers and then they do less less good work, <laughs> uh, you know, their, their marriage and their other personal relationships get, get stale. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down, but, uh, to bring it back to real estate, because, you know, otherwise, you know, I can go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell us about your transition into becoming a real estate syndicator and, you know, the, the first syndication deal that you did, some of the challenges that you experienced, uh, and, and how that has evolved over time.
1: Oh, I love that. Um, Well, I decided I knew immediately that I wanted to serve investors specifically, right? So I know we have people that are in acquisitions are going out and they're finding, you know, the next asset to purchase, or we have people that are powerful analytical minds that underwrite and, you know, have all of those things down. We have asset managers. I don't I'm not into spreadsheets. I'm not into numbers. <laughs> yes, I can do them and I I will, but it's not my my joyful spot. It's not my zone of genius and I've learned so I knew from the very get go, wow, I just want to serve investors. I want to educate investors and I want to help them. I want to empower them to be able to make their first or next investment decision in a really wise grounded way. And so I, how can i do that if i've never done it myself so the first part of my entire syndication journey began with me actually doing everything that i anticipate my investors doing so i invested passively we rolled over self directed funds we got started with infinite banking we got so we started taking all these steps ourselves because i don't believe that we can invite people or ask people to do something that we are that we have never done. And it serves me powerfully because even to this day, this very week as I have investors wiring funds, I have some new investors and like, wow, this is really scary. I know that feeling personally. I remember that feeling like it was yesterday, even that was years ago. I still remember that feeling. And so being able to empathize with where they are allows me to provide really true support in their process and in their journey. So that was really where everything began. Um, My very first deal, I didn't get compensated for. Um, It was a strategic partnership. And I had an opportunity to partner with a very elite investor, somebody who was a mentor in my life and invited me to the table because I believe that mentor had saw me say no to so many opportunities that came my way. I'd had people invite me to join their general partnership to be part of really great, you know, quote, quote, unquote, air quotes, really great deals. And um, and they just didn't resonate with me. They didn't fit my criteria. I have very high standards because I have been raised in real estate. I understand real estate market cycles and I understand, you know bridge debt and you know adjustable rates and i have a aversion to things like that um it has served me and the investors that i work with very well <laughs> definitely to this day but all that to say that first deal was just where i got to wet my whistle on serving um investors and really quite frankly it was hard. It was so hard. And I thought I had built up a platform. I thought I had done enough and that people just want to throw money at me basically and say like, yes, we want to invest with you. And it didn't happen that way. And, and now it's a very different landscape, but it was so good. It was so painful. And so um, difficult to have that, what I would call like, it wasn't a failure. It was just, it felt like such a setback at the moment, but it was also part of what forged my understanding, like, okay, well, how do I need to really be earning? We earn trust with people, right? So how do we earn trust? Well, we have to build a relationship. And then when we have a relationship, we establish trust. And through that, we can have influence in people's lives, and now we can support them in more powerful ways. And so all of that first experience really taught me so much that was important to where I am today, which is, we'll be I don't know, almost a, like if people care about units, I don't care about units. I'm like, see, I can't even tell you like how many do we have right now, you know, but we'll be over the 500 threshold easy, you know, when we close next month. And so it's, that's exciting, but it doesn't, I mean, like you and I know it's just a number. And so like, it really doesn't matter. Like, are the assets performing? So all of our deals are performing and they're strong and it's like, okay, great. We're doing what we said we were going to do.
0: Well, I, I love that you intentionally went out and tried to walk through all of the steps that your investors would be taking themselves um, to to prepare yourself to work with those people on, on their own terms and to be able to speak from a place of personal experience. Um, you know, especially, you know, some so I... I have invested as a, as an LP, of course, you know, before we started our investment club and I invest personally as an LP myself and every one of the deals we do in our investment club. Um, uh, but I haven't gone as far as like opening up a self-directed IRA, for example, even though we do, you know, some of our members do invest through self-directed IRAs. I have not done infinite banking. Um, yeah, I just, <laughs> infinite banking. I, I've heard so many mixed, uh, things on that. But again, that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down. <laughs> to right, that's a this good moment. Rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I think you and I, when we were talking uh, on your podcast, we we're talking about the idea of tripping forward and how you know even some of the the hurdles that aren't home runs, right? Uh, not to mix my metaphors there. But um, you know, those those challenges, you know, even when they're not the 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 home run or the win that you think they're going to be, like you know. Like you said, you didn't earn money on that first deal that you did. I'm sure it was such an amazing learning experience that you know you would not have traded that for the world, even though you know it wasn't uh, you know, a big money maker for you or any kind of money maker for you. It sounds like, um, but it sounds like it was a great learning experience. So on that note, before we get away from you know the beginning stages of being a real estate syndicator, for any audience members out there who are interested in potentially becoming a real estate syndicator. Do you have any any words of advice or, or best tips for them as a, as a first step forward in that direction?
1: I would definitely say go to an event. I think I went to what I didn't mention was I went to um, one specific event. It felt like a college class. And when I went to that event, I took my husband came with me, even though He doesn't participate in syndications in the way that I do. He's not the active syndicator, but I, you know, we had this thing. And so whoever your partner is in life, if you have a life partner, a spouse or, or a partner, like invite them to come along because I knew I needed that soundboard. I knew I'm like, this is all new and I'm going to be going through this. Let's make sure that we're on the same page together. And, um, so that was really powerful. And we sat through like three days and our brains wanted to just melt. They were steaming for sure. And then we went to another event a few months later and, um, and it was like, oh, well, we understand that. We understand that. We understand that. And then it turned more into the networking and getting to know people. And so I think that that being around in the culture of this environment, it's a very special environment where people are really collaborative and genuine and very abundant. It's not a joke. Like people have an abundance mindset. It's amazing. I, I always joke that like all the best people in the world are like in the multifamily syndication commercial real estate space. <laughs> but that's not true. <laughs> um. But all that to say is like invest in your education, invest in the people that are around you, surround yourself by strong investors and don't be afraid to trust your intuition and say this isn't the right deal. Even if you don't know why it's not the right deal for you, like, you know, when it's cold feet and, you know, when it's like, I just don't know why Like, don't be afraid to say no to a deal. But when the numbers line up, don't be afraid to say yes to the deal and the opportunity or the person that's inviting you to something and saying yes and tripping my way forward, as you said, has been, I've always, I've just lived outside of the comfort zone and just said yes, even when it felt like it was stretching me so far outside my wheelhouse, or maybe I really didn't know something it wasn't, it never, this never involved investor capital ever. Like never do that when it involves other people's money. But if it's you just say, just say yes. And you learn and you grow along the way and it opens up opportunities.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's such a fine line between, you know, following your gut and and your intuition um, while also balancing that with the analytical side and, um, you know, stretching your comfort zone. You know, in some ways these can all feel like you know, contradictory ideas, but, you know, I have found that the, the better that you can balance, you know, your intuition while not, uh, letting fear hold you back. Right. So, you know, and and I, I think you were talking about that, you know, the, the, the cold, is it cold feet? Is it, That my intuition is telling me that there's something wrong here, but my brain just hasn't caught up with what it is. You know, is it that I'm just nervous about stretching my comfort zone? You know, you have to know yourself well to know when it when is it any one of these different things? When should you push forward despite feeling a little uncomfortable? Versus when should you pull back and say, No, there's something not quite right about this. I'm I'm gonna (laughs) gonna pull back. So, anyway, off my little tangent there, I wanna ask you about assisted living because you are one of the first people I think you are the first person actually we've had on the show who specializes in assisted living facilities um, and I want to be respectful of your time here I know we're, we're short on it but uh, I love that niche I think there is certainly a need for that moving forward with the the silver tsunami as, as they call it as you know the baby boomers uh, age. So you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into assisted living investing, um, some of the the basic fundamentals that people should understand before participating. So yeah, dive in and tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, let's dive in. I wanted to be involved in assisted living years ago, um, and I was advised to stay away from it. And I think that that was very, very wise guidance. Um, And the reason is, is that you're not just buying real estate, you're buying a business and you are... You are acquiring a staff of you know anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty you know employees, and so, and then you're dealing with a lot of um, government agencies, a lot of licensing, a lot of different insurance elements. So you're so this is this is more than just buying an apartment complex. So my company only invests in apartment complexes and assisted living facilities. And that's because we wanna serve residents. With that said, buying an apartment complex, that's pretty cut and dry black and white. I mean, like you might be picking up, you know, a handful of employees. Maybe you're picking up, you know, the on-site property manager and two, three maintenance people, you know, like you're not acquiring this. It is a business, but it doesn't have all the moving parts that assisted living has. So I'm really grateful that I've had a lot of multifamily experience. prior to stepping into the assisted living. Anytime um, our company goes into something new, we partner with companies who have a track record and already have experience. So when my partner company approached me, it was like, this is a no brainer. One of our criterias is how long have we known you? It's a minimum of one year of actually knowing whoever we partner with. It's just, that's how it is. We're not going to just go partner with somebody that, you know, fogs a mirror. (laughs) Like We want to know the character because our reputations are aligned, you know, need to be aligned because we will be representing each other. Um, When they came to me and they said, you know, we started just like having these initial discussions, it made so much sense. And it's like, to me, kind of like my real estate, my education is fused together. Now my heart and the numbers are also fused together. It's um, okay, great. We can serve this demographic. And we can do it in a way that is going to protect the investors. So when you're purchasing assisted living, the acquisition fee is oftentimes higher. And I'm going to say that like out of the gate. And there's a reason why, Um, because we are straight up, we are going through the real estate and we're having to underwrite all of the real estate elements. And then we're having to underwrite a business at a whole different level. And we're having to go through so many different line items to ensure the value of the business itself. So now you're, you're actually going through two separate underwriting processes, and you're ensuring that both of these elements are completely solvent. So that's like a really foundational key element right there when we're acquiring assisted living facilities. Um, and then from there, there's a difference that, you know, listener, you might not know. An assisted living living facility is different than residential assisted living. So we see people that will convert homes within um, a residential neighborhood, and maybe they'll have eight to 10 licensed beds within that home when we, so that's residential assisted living. That's a very small scale um, way of doing things. So we're acquiring, you know, facilities that have a minimum of 50 licensed beds to them. Uh, in, in that process, and now you have economies of scale. You have, you know, the ability to have an on-site activities director. You know, you have enough bandwidth then to, you know, you have your RN that is always there, ready, steady, constant. You have your activities director. You have, you know, your constant, consistent chef and cook, and um, those uh, those key pieces become a lot easier, in my opinion, to navigate. I'll come up for air right
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that makes total sense. And I love the business model. I think there is going to be a huge demand for this in the, in the decades to come. Um, and already, I mean, there, there's, as you well know, uh, far better than I do, there, there's already a huge demand for this. And that demand will only grow as the baby boomer, boomer generation continues to age. Um, so, Julie, how can people connect with you? You know, if, if any audience members are interested in Three Keys Investments uh, or your podcast, you know, what, what's the best way for people to learn more about you, learn what you're doing, connect with you? Uh, you know, tell us how we can how we can uh, reach you.
1: Yeah. You know, I need to create a little anchor piece on assisted living facilities that I can send people to, because obviously there's so much more we could go into and so many more. Oh, yeah. Nuance of the demographics and what's taking place for the next 10 to 15 years and how it will impact culture. So I don't have that ready yet, listener, but I will. (laughs) In the meantime, um, two ways to connect. If if you want to connect personally, I love connecting with people and having conversations. Brian and I are not just voices here. We actually like talking to you. You're important to us. So, you know, um, I'd love for you to connect. You can go to julieholly.com just my first and last name and um, schedule time to have a conversation. You know, I'd love to hear about what people are doing on their investing journey. And, you know, sometimes I can support them or point them in a different, in a direction that is going to empower you to take your first or next step. Uh, And then check out the Conscious Investor podcast. If you go to episode 365A, it's all serving passive investors and walks through a lot of the you know, basic points of the syndication model.
0: No, that's perfect. And can I tell you how jealous I am that you have a domain name of your own name (laughs) as someone with the most boring name alive, Brian Davis, there's no way that I was ever going to get (laughs) BrianDavis.com. You
1: might just think, okay. Mine wasn't available. I used to, um, be a writer and like, uh, it wasn't available. Wasn't available, and I'd always check because all my other writing friends who were published had their domain, and I would just check regularly. And guess what? It came up. It came up, and so I was wow. able to snag it. So just keep checking. Don't give up.
0: <laughs> all as as a funny aside, there's a Facebook group called Brian Davis Will take over the world and it's only of Brian Davis's so <laughs> people who have never met each other but just happened to share the same name and there were like 400 guys in there like 400 some yes. Brian Davis's and they were like actually close like I mean one, one of them died and they were all like putting these tearful remembrances up and stuff I mean it was nuts. so
1: endearing
0: I know right that. like <laughs> and I think they even did like in-person meetups sometimes like anyway (laughs) let's
1: just add to this little fun banter real fast I'm in the first name last name club so my first name and my last name are both my last name is actually a first name also so there's I've met gentlemen and women who are in the first name last name club so
0: well that's awesome I I love that (laughs) I am I'm not in that club but uh but now you're maybe kind of jealous I
1: mean that's that's the club to be in (laughs)
0: <laughs> well julie thank you so much for coming on today thank you for your time this was such a fun conversation and i know that the audience members will get a ton out of this and especially you know get an interest in assisted living investing that you guys are doing it's fascinating uh thanks again
1: wow thank you i appreciate the time
0: absolutely well guys we will catch you next tuesday at the same time 2 p.m eastern 11 a.m pacific reach out Brian Davis at Spark or Brian at Sparkrunnel.com uh, or support at SparkRunnel.com. And please don't forget to rate review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen, we super appreciate it. All right, guys, catch you next time. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information.